Porter Wagner was an old-school rhinestone country singer from the Ozarks. He was nicknamed the Wagon Master and the Thin Man. For 20 years, he hosted the Porter Wagner Show, where he sang duets alongside a series of young, big-haired cowgirls with sweet voices. All I want is the love you promised beneath the halo moon. One of those young women he hired was 21-year-old Dolly Parton. Together, they smashed the country music scene, charting 21 singles on the Billboard Hot Country Music list, including the number one hit, Please Don't Stop Loving Me. Ironically, that was the same sentiment Dolly would share with Porter when she tried to get out from under Porter's shadow. The first time Dolly tried to leave the team, Porter didn't take it well. During interviews, Porter said he wasn't cruel, but he was the boss. He signed the checks, so his rule was law. To soften the blow to Porter's ego, Dolly Parton wrote him a song, a song that would tell him from the bottom of her heart that she valued and loved him even though she was leaving to start her own solo career. That song was called, I Will Always Love You. And the Grammy goes to... Which would go on to win a mountain of awards. Dolly, of course, coming from you, this is truly an honor. You wrote a beautiful song. Thank you so much for writing such beautiful songs. Really. She sang it first to Porter before anyone else could hear it and he said it was the most beautiful song he'd ever heard. Six years later, after a streak of bad investments, years of drug abuse, and heavy drinking, Porter Wagner sued Dolly Parton for leaving. He claimed a breach of contract and asked a judge for $3 million from Dolly. In response, Dolly agreed to settle and gave Porter $1 million. In an interview with Ralph Emery, she said that she still loved Porter and would work with him again under the right conditions. Porter, on the other hand, slandered her in multiple interviews. Wagner told a Tennessean, she's not what I thought she was. And Dolly Parton is the kind of person I would never trust with anything of mine. But even with the one million, Porter was soon broke. He tried to sell his music catalog to make ends meet. So Dolly swooped it up and bought it and held on to the rights of his songs. When Porter wanted to buy his songs back, she sent him a letter telling him she loved him and that he could have his songs back for free. When Porter was dying of lung cancer in 2007, Dolly went to his bedside, wiped tears from his eyes, and sang that song to him again, I Will Always Love You. If you're looking for a role model for forgiveness, you can't do much better than Dolly. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then, we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. And I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no-duh on the internet. Whether we forgive or not is a clear question when it's a stranger hurting us. Someone parking our spot, a 
broker ruining our retirement, an assassin shooting at our president. We probably know whether we'll forgive them or not. But what happens when it's someone we love? What happens when forgiving someone close to us might empower them to hurt us again? In part one of our forgiveness series, we talked about practicing forgiveness for our own mental health and physical well-being. Today, we talk about the flip side of forgiveness. Forgiveness because we want to keep loving the person who's wronged us. Whether it was for love, money, or addiction, we want to know, how do we forgive them without feeling like a doormat? To help us start the process of forgiveness, we have three myths. Myth one, once bitten, twice shy. If you forgive someone for doing something shitty, they're going to do it again and again. Myth two, some people are born forgivers. It's in our nature to be people pleasers. Dolly pardoned forgave because Dolly is a saint, period. Myth three, are there actual steps to forgiving someone if you want to keep the relationship going? Are there ways to screw up forgiveness so badly that a relationship crumbles? We're going to get to our myths. But first, I want to talk to Joe about the Porter Wagner show. Okay, so we we have this clip of Porter Wagner. Uh, you can go onto YouTube and watch the Porter Wagner show, and you can watch the first time Dolly Parton is on TV on the Grand Ole Opry. You can watch um, them singing together for for years. Like uh, it's all up online. Um, so what was what was your take watching this very old show when there was like only ten channels on TV? It really made me smile. It it's it's just so corny but fun. It's totally high energy. And I, you could tell that these two, even though they were different generations, one was a very young woman, and the one guy you could see, he kind of had that trucker, smoking, drinking look about him, but a, a voice from, a godly voice. And they were just having fun, teasing each other and playing along together. What did you think of it? Now that you say that, the, the trucker comment, he reminds me of like those whip-thin granddad truckers who just survive on cigarettes and coffee. Yes, and, and his nickname was the Thin Man, um, and and early it, it was becoming like he he looked just like a, a rhinestone figure, like like he is he is the 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 Oscar statue if you put him in rhinestones. But as he got older, he he kind of became like Skeletor, like it <laughs> that really clung to him. But watching the old clips, um, I I started on I accidentally started in the middle of them singing a song called Genie's Afraid of the Dark, which I had never heard. And so they look adorable. They sound amazing. It's heartwarming. And then I listened to the lyrics and I was deeply disturbed <laughs> because it's it's all about uh, basically a family who loses a child. So it was it was, yeah, a heart wrenching thing with well, the And he you know, it's funny because Dolly Parton is a huge star now. Right. And has been for yeah. generations, for famous for 50 years or whatever. He sounded way better. I mean, he has, and I know she was early in her career, and he was towards the latter of his career. But he has a gorgeous voice. You know, as an amateur singer now, I'm, I'm kind of tuned into these things. I thought, wow, he's quite the. He's good. You know. Yeah, our our whole narrative opening is about how much of a shyster he was about uh, uh, letting her leave the show, and whether or not she's breaching contract and like suing her for a million, even though she for, she forgives him left and right over and over again. But honestly, at the start of their career, you can see what the like you can see the, his point. Like you can see that he really did start her out, and he really was at the peak of his career. He was he sounded amazing. 
Um, so, so can we, I want to dive right into why Dolly had to forgive him. Like, like we started our last episode, which was all about basically how to forgive strangers for our own mental well-being and, and health. This is all about how to forgive somebody we love uh, without becoming a doormat. Because if you forgive somebody you love uh, uh, and they are the type to take advantage, they'll do it again. So we want to talk about, you know, how do you how do you forgive somebody but also not get taken advantage of a second time? And to to our best example of this is is Porter. Um, and it, it's go ahead. I don't want to start with how the relationship started. Um, Dolly Parton was not just um, just anybody off the street. She had already signed a record deal and she had actually had a hit song. Um, his show, and this is in 1967, was her her big first enormous break though. He had had a partner for about seven years and she was a fan favorite. They loved her. Dolly came to audition for this thinking that maybe she had a chance one in a thousand like most auditions, right? Right. And halfway through her auditioning, he said, oh, the other lady's out, I need you in. And it almost knocked her on her butt. She, she was like, oh, that was easy. So he saw something in her immediately. He didn't have to think about it. He saw her, liked her. He knew, he knew a good thing he, when he had it. Now, another thing I think it's important to remember is four million people watch this show. <laughs> right. So we talk about exposure. And it's a niche market. It's country music. Country music is, is very mainstream now, but it was not in the 60s. So it's, it's, it's a career maker. Now that you say that, because there was so much like in the 60s, we're talking like Woodstock and stuff like 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 the music of the time was not slow, loving cowboy ballads. More serious anti-Vietnam, you know. <laughs> right. When you say that he saw something in her, was it that she was young and attractive and would look good standing next to him on TV and get better ratings? Or, or do you think it's because well, he was personally attracted? I, no, I think it was her talent because, let's face it, there's a lots of young, attractive singers in Nashville. There always has been. There always will be. Um, he saw something in her. Now, what's funny about this is the woman that went before him and then Dolly, when they started, again, I said that they were crazy about the, the, the previous woman and not so, they were outright didn't like Dolly to the point that it was getting negative press. He stood up for her. So instead of raining down on her and bullying her and saying, hey, you're not doing as good as the girl before, he said, no, she's good. She's going to get better and you're going to love her just like I do. But the real switch in it was when they went from doing it was more like a sidekick. He was the main event, and the, the woman was the side singer who'd sing every once in a while. Right. It all changed when he put her out front with him as equals, which, again, in 1967, <laughs> is ahead of its time. And so she he treated her not like the bimbo or whatever. He treated her like, no, she's the talent, just like me. And as soon as she did that, and as soon as the her, his hardcore fans realized she ain't going anywhere because the old man likes her, Everyone bought in. I, I kind of like that. Um, because it's so easy when you read about Porter Wagner and their fight to, to brand him as just a, a out-and-out villain. Especially because we know what Dolly became. Like, like she's so beloved now. Any Anybody who would challenge her or, or hold her back, it feels like that is a villain. But, but standing up for her, that 
that reminds us that there's a reason why she loved him. And I don't think her love was misplaced often. Um, just reading about Dolly, she sounds very smart to me. And that was the first part. And now let's go to the bad part. That's when the relationship started. That's when it was building. That's when it had value. When Dolly, when Dolly went to leave, though, that's when the $3 million, and he started having his own problems. He was looking to play the blame game, and he put the blame solely on Dolly. And he started saying nasty things like this. He started saying, she can't be trusted with a, si- a single thing. He says this with like a bad taste in his mouth. Yeah. And then he said things like, family isn't even off limits to Dolly. Um, Dolly lives in a fairyland. And all Dolly said, and I, again, a, a saintly woman is, she just wasn't being heard. And isn't that a common uh, theme for women, not us men not listening to them? I, <laughs> I that's especially for the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if men have come that much further than that. I have to ask your fiance about that. I don't know how good of a listener you are. <laughs> Uh, I well, I could tell you if if she thinks I'm a good listener or not, but I don't. I haven't heard what she said, so that would <laughs> she blah 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 wah wah, wah something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I what I I really honestly tried to find um, any interview of Dolly slandering him back because I was like, well, what's the worst she had said? Like, how equal was this sort of back and forth? The most I could find was um, on that that interview show. Um, oh, what was it, Ralph Emery? She she made a joke like like he asked something about creative control and she's like she said something effective like, well, he wasn't the most creative one in our partnership, but he had the control and she laughed like it was it was a joke, but like not nearly the same level of slander that came from him when he was like talking to the Tennessean. So Um, and you could see if someone's suing you for three million dollars, I would have a few mean things to say, a few choice things. And. And again, she's she's been with him for a long time. She's got a lot of uh, information on him that we don't. I'm sure she could have talked about how many times he showed up drunk. And <laughs> right. I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure as we all know, anyone's been around alcoholic, and I and I have. Uh, we're a special breed. We're, you're never <laughs> at a lack of content for our stupidity. You know. Right. So we we will get to uh, what exactly the lawsuit was about. Um, but it's good to bear in mind that um, they had many, 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 many hits together. It looked like they were going to have a joint career forever. Like it, it looked like they were just going to be uh, um, a singing duo that just sort of took over the world. And then to from his perspective, it, it, it felt like she was just left. Like she just left him high and dry. She abandoned what looked like a lucrative skyrocketing career. And she went off to do movies. And and to us in in modern days, we we've seen Bessel Whorehouse in Texas, and we've seen Nine to Five, and so we know that it was amazing, and and she did very well at the time. Though it looked like she was abandoning country singing for um, schlocky movies, so I, I can understand his perspective. Again, I'm I'm not defending him. I'm putting things into perspective because it's it's you know it was a it was an argument. It wasn't just a, a villainous move. Am I giving him too much credit? Does that sound like I'm I'm taking a side at all? Well, you know, when I went in, when you first told me about the story, I just thought this was this evil jerk guy. And then, <laughs> and I look at it. I guess what I learned about this is how to handle a real serious um, situation. You know, a, a career, th- you know, a financial thing, a career thing. Um, and I didn't realize what a sophisticated business person that Dolly Parton was. 
I and, and that's how this started. We we, we were going to do a thing about uh, my singing coach, who's a an opera star, was telling me that a lot of people don't know that Dolly Parton is one of the most successful people in the music business, and she's a shrewd business person. Yeah. Um. So, and I started looking into that, and it was shocking. She, she's just she's through, through her whole career negotiated the best and got and made money on every single thing. You know, she's like the gold thing. So, and done it for fifty years. So it's not it's not a coincidence. She didn't just get lucky. It just wasn't good timing. <laughs> right. From her movies to her music to her royalties, she's just she's nailed every. One of my favorite ones is um, the Bee Gees, who are amazing songwriters and write a lot of songs that people don't know. The song that they're most proud of, and they were musicians, a family musicians their whole lives, was Islands in the Stream. Well, guess who recorded that? Dolly and Kenny Rogers. Dolly Parton, yeah. Yeah, and so they were, and they were envious of it. They're like, why? What was the best song we've ever done? Kind of like her song, <laughs> I Will Always Love You. And we gave it to somebody else. <laughs> I literally, about 100 episodes ago, we did a Bee Gees episode about, you know, when are you in your prime? How do you know it? And the Bee Gees, uh, they they couldn't record their own music anymore because they had been chased, literally like threatened with guns and chased out of America for being uh, disco when disco died. And with the death of disco, nobody took them seriously. They had to sell their music and they cried. Uh, one of the brothers cried when they sold that song to Dolly Parton because it was something they wanted to record and they knew they couldn't. Um, and it's amazing listening to Dolly and Kenny do that. It is such a good song. Um, so, 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 so the betrayal is uh, betrayal. Number one is Dolly leaves uh, abruptly from this successful partnership. And, and the more serious betrayal number two is, um, Porter reacts very, very badly to it. And he, he sues her at yep. first. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Dra drag her through the mud and suing her. Yeah. Slanders her very, very public about it. Drags her through the mud, forgets that she wrote him. The, the most beautiful song on earth, uh, what he called the most beautiful song, um, I Will Always Love You, forgets that she wrote that as a as kind of like a breakup song, ignores that, sues her, drags her through the mud. It, it's a terrible sort of like splitting. Um, and, and her forgiveness was pretty much, as far as I can tell, not right immediate. Like it's not a Reagan level forgiveness. Um, she She made jokes about it and stuff. And the older she got, and the wiser she got, the, the more she was able to play it off as jokes. And she always said, even early in the bitter years, in the interviews, you can hear it in her voice when she's still hurt by this. She still says she loves him. She still says that, you know, under the right circumstances, she partner with him again. Um, I don't know how she did that. <laughs> in, in my personal life, uh, well, I mean, uh, Todd, you said during the last episode, if somebody does something for you, you've said you'll let them do almost anything to you. Yeah, and but and this one reminds me of anytime I talk to a woman who's who's getting a divorce, a messy divorce, and, I, and I'll ask, you know, how's the dad? How's, how's your ex-husband? They'll always take this deep sigh and they'll say, he's a good father. Yeah. And that's like the <laughs> nicest thing that they can muster up. And you, you could tell that they want to tell you a laundry list of what a piece of shit he is, but <laughs> they're going to just say that. That's that's a universal thing for saying he's a scumbag. But right. a, at least he's a good dad. And I like that, that they're – you know, I wish I was. That's why I'm. We're doing this episode. I'm hoping that this is going to make me more Dolly-like. Yeah, you know, the Dolly version of that is uh, um, instead of saying uh, he's a good father, it's well, he's a good singer. 
<laughs> um, so, so the first question that our first myth really is, uh, can forgiveness be a weakness? Can, can, can the urge for us to forgive a loved one, can it be a weakness or can it feel like a weakness? And the answer is hell yes, it can. Um, our whole first episode felt like we were championing forgiveness for your own mental well-being and your own physical health. Um, but there is serious data to show that, you know, some people are prone to forgiveness, like it's in their nature. And some people are prone to repeatedly offend and transgress if they're forgiven. Um, for example, there's, there's sort of the old trope of uh, um, a, a wife who forgives a husband who drinks too much or a husband who um, philanders, they cheat. And if a wife is too quick to forgive him, he's more likely to do it again. And there is, uh, there is serious uh, uh, data to back that up. There, there are studies that say that Yes, if your spouse is low on forgiveness, uh, like like the, if they're oh, what do you call it the the, um, the the sort of like Russian stereotype of the the short little wife with the the spoon ready to beat the crap out of the guy who who steps out of bounds or drinks too much. If if you are low in forgiveness, your spouse is less likely to transgress. Uh, just period. really, yeah. See that that makes I mean that makes total sense, right? I've, you know the mental. I never cheated my wife because she would kill me, and they say that with that look in their eyes of utter fear. But you, 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 it makes sense that, you know, as a kid, you know which parents you can kind of get away with more, right? right? And so you push those buttons, you figure out those boundaries, and you you kind of know where you you stand in the relationship, right? And and some people are more likely to get into that relationship. Some people are more likely to seek out uh, a person who is a natural forgiver, and that's, that's interesting. Yeah, someone that we call him a doormat, right? I used to say that, and I see their relationship. They handpicked this guy out so she could just bully him her whole life, you know. And you could see it, you know. He's cowers, and right, and it goes both ways, you know. It seems like they, and I don't know if they did it consciously or subconsciously, but you could tell that they're partnered up that way. To um, we're going to be using the studies and data from um, Michael J. Wool, uh, who is a PhD from the University of Alberta, who did a whole lecture on this. Um, he does not call these people doormat people. Uh, he calls them natural forgivers, but we can use either. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, natural forgiver sounds way better than. <laughs> yeah, all you doormats I, out there like me. It's part of it sensitivity. Just, just, just people their hurt feelings. They hurt easier, so they forgive less. Well, that's 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 a really good question. That is actually the the big question is um, th there's trait forgiveness, which means it, it's in their nature to do it. And that kind of breaks up into a couple of categories. One is you are too optimistic. You have an optimistic view on human nature. Uh, you like to get along with others. You, you want to be agreeable. In fact, agreeableness on the um, the big five psychology spectrum, agreeableness corresponds with the higher likelihood that you'll forgive somebody for doing something awful. Um, so like the, the agreeableness factor making you a natural forgiver, that's kind of like saying, you know, uh, Dolly didn't forget that, uh, this happened. Um, she just wanted to forgive him because she's an agreeable person. She's likable and she likes being likable. Um, she told the, the Emery show, uh, the, the reason I know she didn't forget is Emery said, you know, did you and Porter sue each other? And Dolly very emphatically was like, no, he sued me. And, but even after that outburst, she's still very optimistic. So, um, she does to me, to, to my, uh, untrained eyes. Um, she falls into the agreeableness category. 
Um, and on the opposite spectrum, it, it, this is where I land, unfortunately, neuroticism. Um, if you are high in neuroticism in the big five, um, you have a tendency toward anxiety, depression, self-doubt, and other negative feelings. Those all tend to make you a low natural forgiver. So if Dolly is on one spectrum, uh, being agreeable and, and just wanting to love people, I'm literally on the opposite. I'm, I'm way more neurotic. Uh, naturally, I have high anxiety and, and depression. Give me an example of how that, how that looks in a forgiveness situation. Give me a scenario. Well, if, if somebody wrongs me because of anxiety and depression, I dwell on it. Like, like Dolly can know about it and factually understand Porter Wagner uh, um, screwed me over, but she can forgive emotionally. I can't. I, I dwell on it. I think about how dare they. Um, you know, the, the, this is a personal attack. That it means disrespect. They're going to do it to me again. And and you repeat uh, um, the conversations in your head that you've had with them. You you analyze how they wronged you and try to like amplify it in your mind. You mm-hmm. catastrophize it. You you invent narratives. So. Um, the more neurotic you are, the more likely you are to be a low forgiver, um, which is important to know about yourself. Like when we when we go through these two very robust episodes about forgiveness, um, if you are asking yourself, why can't I seem to forgive people? The second question you should ask yourself is, what is my neuroticism level? Do I have high anxiety? Do I have high depression? Because if you have those, you are less likely to be a natural forgiver. You're more likely to do what I do, which is dwell on it, take it personally, catastrophize it, and basically hold that grudge forever. End of episode. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I, I just want to <laughs> let you know that I won't forgive anything you do or anybody else. Oh, great. Uh, good to know. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm reminded of a time I worked, um, I was on, definitely on a losing streak, and I was working laborer jobs. And when you work laborer job, you work side by side. And I was older, you know, I was in my later 30s. But I was working with young men. And I worked with one young man this one day. His name's Dave. And Dave and I were talking. When you work labor, you talk all day. So you know each other's life stories after a week or so of this. And uh, he, he was pretty socially awkward. And he had one girlfriend in his life. And she'd just recently broken up with him. And you could tell it was really, really on his heart, you know. And not the kind of guy to be talking about his feelings. Big, strong kid. And and I asked him what's important to him in a relationship. And, and he said, almost, almost with tears in his eyes, he said, I need a woman that's at least understanding a little bit. And what that meant to me and, and what, what you're saying here is someone who I don't have to be perfect with, you know, yeah. if I make any mistake, I'm out. And I just really hurt my heart to think, oh, I know how he feels. Like sometimes you're in love with somebody and you feel like you have to be a super you because if you do anything wrong, you're out. And that's a, that's a terrible way to live your life. And and the, the whole part about being a doormat, like the, if you are a natural forgiver, um, there are reasons to forgive and ways to forgive that will make you less of a doormat. So, so whether you're on the neuroticism spectrum, like I am, or you're a natural agreeable forgiver, like Dolly Parton is, um, there are sort of like three different paths to forgiveness. And one of them leads to a healthier relationship with well-set boundaries. The other leads to a relationship that basically stays the same. And the one that I take most often will lead to a crumbling relationship. So we're going to talk about that one last. So I don't feel quite as bad. <laughs> and, and just in case you wondered, I'm in both camps. There's some people I have endless forgiveness for. And there's other people that I hold to, that are an impossible standard, which I'm not proud of. It is Do you hold people to a higher standard when they're closer to you 
I think so. And, and I've heard that from a, an elderly guy who says that um, family relationships are the hardest to keep because we feel entitled. Yeah. So I feel like I can get very judgy with family. Like, I expect, for some reason, I expect them to be perfect, but I don't expect that from my friend. You know, I'm saying it out loud. It doesn't make any sense, but it's the way I I feel. I had a a drunk friend of mine uh, vomit into my aunt's shoes once. That was immediately forgiven. I'm just like, oh, he's he's flawed. Everybody's flawed. And then my brother, uh, um, like, like borrows a book from me and like gets it rained on. And I think he's a, a horrible human being that I can't forgive ever. He's right there with Ted Bundy on your list. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the guy that shot Reagan to me, and I'm ready to ditch him. So, um, so yeah, there there are grades of of forgiveness, obviously, and and who you set boundaries with that's going to be very important. So, let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, healthy forgiveness versus unhealthy. Um, how do we forgive somebody? Well, well, first off. In this research set uh, that we're going to link off to from the University of Alberta, um, they asked huge groups of people how they came to forgiveness, how they arrived at forgiveness. So we're skipping all of the the stuff we talked about last episode about the the reach steps. Um, that is the process of forgiveness. This is once you get there, once you're ready to forgive, how does that pan out for you going forward with somebody who's close to you? Um, specifically this was about addiction and problem gambling, but forgiveness is forgiveness. It, it applies to most relationships. Path one, a lot of people pull, elected for path one. Path one is, um, you have an open discussion. Uh, you let the person know how they felt and how you felt. You let them know how they wronged you and how you expect them to not do it in the future. Um, basically you set boundaries and you say it in the open. That is the part that hurts is when you talk to somebody who has wronged you and you make them say it out loud. It makes you feel like a dick. A lot of uh, people will just go forward without saying it like like because it feels better. It's more comfortable. You assume the other party knows what they did. Um, but that's not really how boundaries are drawn. If you select path one where you have an open discussion and you both acknowledge what the other person did, the relationship will improve. I'm getting uncomfortable just talking about it. I don't even have a. <laughs> I'm sweating. Yeah. I have to sit down. I can just see us sitting down and having to talk about things. You probably have some things you need to tell me, don't you? This is this. Is the, <laughs> if I were to do that, I would say, you know, have a seat, and, and I'd be like, "Do you know what you did wrong?" And and, and I'd have you say it out loud, and well, just that whole yeah. setup. I'm kidding, but honestly, that's what you have to do, and it's the most uncomfortable thing you can do. I would rather just never talk to that person again. That's easier. Well, my wife doesn't give me a silent treatment. I'm saying either it's something I said or didn't say or did or didn't do. And I really don't have a clue, you know, and it should be fairly obvious, you know, that she's this pissed off. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, the open discussion, the the moment of truth, uh, everybody says it out loud, uh, relationship improves. That's That's the first path. Path two is the one more people do. And it's um, it, it's more of an expression of morals. Instead of an open discussion, you just accept that everybody is fallible and, and you continue on. I, I literally said that a couple sentences ago, like just a few minutes ago when I was talking about Dolly and I was talking about, you know, um, forgiving strangers. I use that phrase. Everybody is fallible. Um, but if you use that as the way to get past uh, somebody wronging you, if you just say, oh, everyone's fallible, let's move on. The relationship will stay the same or it will get worse. Those, those are the two things that will happen, guaranteed. Um, relationships don't really improve if you don't have open discussions and boundaries. Um, and I, that's uncomfortable for me. I'm, I'm a 
you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a neurotic. I'd rather not do that. Um, but that's apparently the healthy way. Uh, so says psychology and Dolly Parton. Um, and then the path three is honestly the one I've taken more often. And I'm ashamed to say it. Um, choosing right for the sake of right, which is what we talked about in the first episode. Basically, you forgive somebody because you uh, because it's good for you. You've read it in a self-help book. You listen to our first episode in a, or you listen to another podcast about forgiveness. You know that it lowers your blood pressure and it's good for your heart and it's good for your nerves if you just forgive and stop hanging onto the memory. But if you don't have that boundaries, you don't have that open discussion. If you just say, I'm going to forgive this person because I will feel better and I will live a better life. Your relationship with that person will deteriorate even with the forgiveness. Even if you say, I forgive you. If, if you are just doing it for yourself, it'll work. You'll, you'll be healthier, but you're not going to have that relationship down the road. So this is hard for me because I, I feel like even when you're reading this stuff and, and you're talking about this stuff, um, I feel like we're judging, like we're this like self-righteous, better than everybody. Because there is two sides. Like you and I are struggling with this Dolly Part story because we went into it thinking this guy's a jerk and Dolly's not. But then we're kind of like, eh. You know, he has his points here and there. We don't agree with him a hundred percent, but it is hard because things aren't that clear, black and white, and people don't always know what they did. And do you want to call him out on everything? You know, right? Is that really fair? You know, to, to be this very structured. Uh, you know, and I know you're talking about big stuff, but it's just it's it's a, it's an uncomfortable thing. It's going to take some practice, I guess, is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, no, it's it's very uncomfortable, and the reason why I've been so careful this episode to point out where I fall short or where I am, I'm starting out below the table is because uh, this is difficult for me of the episodes we've done. This is emotionally tough. And, you know, I, I thought forgiveness, we would just have a very quick 10 minute episode in total, like not two parts. I thought it'd be 10 minutes of, yep, forgiveness is healthy for you. Forgive everybody, move on. Um, but no, it, it gets w- way more difficult when you talk about having an open discussion and yeah. and if, yeah if you do it wrong it doesn't work right it, it doesn't work and you still have those bad feelings and you're not many relationships and you're not setting boundaries so you do have to do the work it's something we got to practice yeah and i love this outline that you did that's great that's something i can use yeah michael uh wall the the from university of alberta will link off to his lecture um he even says in his his studies he says um make it explicit if you forgive somebody make it explicit how they wronged you, make them say it, you say it, even if you believe it shouldn't be stated. That was his words. And I, I think that is, it bears repeating two or three times like we've already done. Um, can we can we talk about, uh, you don't want to get it to the point where it's at court. Like when we, when we say make the wrong explicit, state it, we're not saying state it in front of a judge when you're about to sue each other. How did that go down with Dolly and Porter? Obviously, it got that far with them. Uh, Dolly, a lot of the things that happened was, you know, she was younger. We talked about the age difference between 20 years ages and father, daughter looking at least. Um, his career started to tank and her started to skyrocket. Um, he was the hit person and then she started getting more hits than him. And she started really being a big, big star. Dolly said this made him very possessive and totally intimidated and competitive with her. When they used to work, their competition was a healthy collaboration that their competitive did put on the best show. Now it was he wanted to put her down and outdo her, but it was kind of like a losing fight. His, his career had already peaked, and like we talked in our Bee Gees episode, 
musicians especially have a they have a big time where <laughs> most of their music is is listened to and then they kind of coast off that but the value of his is his stuff was not not what hers was and this was very hard and she didn't think that he discovered her he, he wasn't her rec- her manager he wasn't the record company that signed her he was someone that he did she did a show with so she wanted to move on and she had bigger dreams beyond just doing the show with him. So that's where it all came. That those were the two camps. He just couldn't accept that he wasn't as big a star as she was. He wanted he was just just obscenely jealous of her and wanted to hurt her financially. Right. And in his mind, she's still like the the oh, nearly the teenager that he be you know, had to defend on stage and tell the audience to stop booing at her because she's not the last girl that he had up singing with him. Yeah, he genuinely felt that without him, she wouldn't be there. And she doesn't think that's the case. Yeah. She thinks, I don't know how I would have got there, but I would have got there. This is going to sound weird, but like I, I've i never seen Dolly Young. Like I, I realized that during the research for this episode, um, I, I have only ever really known Dolly in my lifetime as like sort of a... Um, past middle age and young dolly she looked like um who's the actress from uh chuck and and um uh, yvonne strovitz uh like they they bear a shocking similarity <laughs> yeah i hadn't seen her that young either i was yeah. surprised it's just this big hair she's just this southern girl it was funny because we're, we're studying for the show and we've been talking about dolly a lot and then the football game was on so i called joe and then she was doing the halftime show and then on she was a big hit all over the internet. It was, it was viral that she was out there. She dressed up like a, <laughs> in her aging years and her grandma years here, she was dancing around in the, the same thing that the Dallas cowgirls wear. So she's right. been, like Robin Williams. She's been famous for so long. She's been famous for 50 years. Didn't she, um, didn't she just like get into the, the uh, rock and roll hall of fame or something like that? Even though she's country, like, like, yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. She's still in the news. Like, like literally, this week she's in the news. Talking to people about this, I, everybody has strong feelings about her. You know, I've heard stories of people having crushes on her their whole lives, and you know, I hear all these stories. You just bring up her name. Talk about Dolly Parton. Talk about this episode, and you'll be surprised how people's eyes light up. <laughs> the uh, the guys that record Radio Lab, uh, one of the hosts, I think it was Jad Abumrad. He he left doing Radio Lab and then recorded a whole podcast season about Dolly. Like it just it seems so weird because like they they were just like they only talked science and studies. Yeah, they're so serious and stuff, right? Yeah, and, and then yeah. he's like, later, guys, I'm gonna go talk about Dolly Parton for for a year. <laughs> That's so funny. When we talk about our, our do you want to get to the steps of forgiveness? Like how how we. If we decide to take the the not the high road, but if we decide to take the boundaries road, the the one where we hash it out, we we discuss, um, we we go through reconciliation. Do you want to walk through the steps that makes a forgiveness worth it, um, especially if it's family or, or somebody very close to us? Yes, I'm listening and I'm paying attention, hundred percent. Okay, um, the first one. Uh, this is not going to shock anybody. This is the one that is the most uncomfortable. And this is what we were both probably thinking of when I was talking about being open and and discussing and, and um, t- setting boundaries. The first step is acceptance of responsibility. Um, that's where you sit down, you put them on the couch and you, the transgressor must acknowledge and accept 
responsibly for their actions. And um, according to their, again, the same research paper is we're going to link off to, it says this step is crucial as it lays a foundation for a genuine apology. Because if you don't get that first part out of the way, if you don't get them to say it out loud what they did, if you don't sit Porter Wagner on the couch and he actually says, you know, I, I sued you because I was jealous, um, then you're not going to get a, a good foundation for your relationship. You can't start anything. There's no there's no boundaries to build. You don't have a fence post to start boundaries. Um, if, if you're not open and they're not open. Um, so here's actually where I want to ask a question of you, Todd. If somebody wrongs you and you set them down and you say, you know, uh, how did you wrong me? Let's let's talk this out. And they lie or they make something up or they they refuse to acknowledge how they wronged you. How do you proceed with that? I get upset. I get visibly upset. And and then, well, it depends. You know, it depends who the person is. But a lot of times I I kind of get there the way that they saw it. What, what usually I get out of it is that it wasn't as malicious as I thought it was. That this is what they were thinking. And when I hear that, it almost like, oh, it, it kind of it really takes the edge off the sword for me usually. Yeah, I wasn't trying to hurt you. I was scared. I needed money. I, I was yeah. in the throes of addiction, um, or, or just right. I I emotionally needed something that wasn't being provided. Yeah, but if they downplay my feelings about it and say, "Oh, you're just being oversensitive," and get over it, and that didn't happen, that that, that makes me angry. It makes me more resentful. If if I was any cheesier of a um, producer of the show i would i would put in the sound of a bell dinging or like the high striker ringing because you said it it's if somebody downplays your emotions it, it, it that's the red sign that that means that this can't go further um you may have to cut ties or or you may have to abandon the process of forgiveness and just say we're not seeing eye to eye on this you know maybe we can come together again later but we're not that's when you do a dolly parton that's where you might have to split away from them for a while for your own health um I know that's not always going to be an option, especially with family. Um, but if somebody downplays your emotions and they refuse to even talk about, you know, what they did, um, th- then that is a, th- you can't build a foundation off of that. Um, but I can see the value in this because a lot of times if you talk to someone about something and they, they, yeah, yeah. Then they do it again. You feel kind of foolish for trusting them again. Yeah. But, but you have set that boundary and they know then they're really deciding to do that. That, that, that that's clear that that's one of your rules. Right. Um, and that's, that's actually, we're on to step two already. It is step two is setting the record straight. And in that it, it says it's important to establish a mutual understanding of the events. Um, this is something that comes up in, in weirdly hostage negotiation by Chris Voss. <laughs> he talks about um, establishing a mutual understanding. You both, uh, um, you, you'll both start with your own story. Um, you'll both start with, uh, the person who hurt you will start with what they needed at the time, what they were feeling at the time. You'll start with here's why that hurt and, and why it was bad for me. And, and you know, why that, that, you know, eventually led to, to such harsh feelings. And once you guys have, uh, established a mutual understanding of the events, then you can move on that. That's when you start discussing reparations. That's part three. Um, now that's, that's an interesting way of phrasing it too, is, what are reparations as far as forgiveness in Dolly and Porter Wagner's case <laughs> reparations for them was wild. Like, like I don't know if this is getting too um, quick into the, the, the next stage of the lawsuit, 
reparations for them was Dolly paying a million dollars to Porter and then later on just doing wild favors for him for what I can see for no reason other than just because she's a saint. Um, have What are in, in your history, have you ever asked for reparations from somebody who had like uh, hurt your trust? I have. And then I felt, you know, you know, in the, the divorce, there's always a lot of that, that, yes, you got this and that that's right. But I started, I kind of feel like Porter does with my, my divorce where I kind of got cleaned out. And I thought, <laughs> I thought we wouldn't have had all this if I wouldn't have done all this too, you know? So just to be fair. And I, and I, I got more back later, more, but it was because I kind of took the high road and, and the time thing set in. So I had my own Dolly Parton there. <laughs> okay. I wasn't in any, if, that, if that's answering the question. Yeah, I, that that hits it. Um, and reparations in a divorce, I mean, that's going to be physical, tangible dollars. Um, it is, and emotional. I, I always say that about divorce. I say divorce is an emotional bankruptcy as well. Yeah. Do you have anything that pops up in your, your life? Emotional reparations, certainly. Um, I had an instance where I had to sort of like draw boundaries for my father after he had done something egregious. Um, and it was emotional. He, he, he you know, he was a, a, an alcoholic and he had abusive moments. And um, as an adult, I basically after going through this process, um, when we hit reparations, it was we don't talk about certain subjects just because it is insulting. Um, and it was, you know, telling him what not to to talk about, what subjects would make me, you know, n- not want to speak to him again. Um, and he, he he obeyed that like it, it once it was said out loud, it kind of set it in stone. It gave him a list of things to, to back off on. Um, but yeah, emotional just, reparations yeah, takes a I, lot of forms. I had, a, I had a similar thing with my stepfather because he was really browbeating me about immigrant immigration. And, and I don't see eye to eye with him on that. So I yeah. told him, do not bring this up to me because I'm never going to see the way you do. And I don't want to hear it because he gets so emotionally charged about it. And instead of just, you know, having a spirited debate, he's trying to bully me into it and to a point where I become violent, you know, and because he just won't stop. And I said, we just can't talk about this. It's the old bar thing. We don't talk about politics or religion. And that's a real thing. <laughs> Those yeah. two things in, in an alcoholic should not be brought up because they lead to violence and it does escalate fast, but we all have those triggers. And sometimes it's not enough for us just to feel a certain way. We want to, to make, especially Joe being a know-it-all, he reads so much and researches so much. He thinks he wants to convince everybody that he thinks his way. (laughs) That is, that is the true reparations as eventually Todd will ask me to stop bringing up uh, all the stuff I've been reading and and (laughs) tell him I'm right all the time. Um, and after reparations, the the next step is an apology. Um, it's not an apology because it's it's an apology is not uh, a demonstration from the other person that they're wrong. It, it, it I think that's the biggest mistake we make with an apology. Everybody expects an apology is going to solve things, and they also think it's like planting the wrong flag or wearing the scarlet letter. They think that an apology is is the end of in itself toward reconciliation. That once somebody apologizes, it's done. That's not true. <laughs> an apology that is too quick is kind of insincere. Like like if I, you know, uh, ask Todd to borrow money and and then rob him blind, and then like the the moment he confronts me about it, I say, "Oh, sorry, bro." Um, no, that's insincere. Even if it sounds sincere and it's too quick, 
uh, um, it's likely not well thought out and it's, it's something I haven't emotionally processed yet. Um, I think you just said a good point and I just want to add to that a little bit. Everyone's had this experience where they've loaned someone money, they didn't pay them back. But what does everybody say? It's not about the money. It changed our relationship. It made us so uncomfortable that we couldn't talk to. And that was the worst part of it. Haven't you felt that? Absolutely. And I've been on both sides of it. I've been the one brought the way to pay it back. And I felt terrible. I, I avoided that person forever. And it's right. horrible. You just lose something. And it's like, oh, if you knew that that was about it, it really wasn't about the money. It was about the so feelings are more powerful than even something we can measure like money. Oftentimes, a, a fast, genuine apology can be as bad as a false apology. Like if you if you apologize too quick, it almost feels like it's root uh, or it's rote, and and you're just repeating it to make me feel better. And, and it's almost as bad as saying, "I'm sorry, you feel that way." Well, yeah, and I believe uh, you know a hundred zero percent of what people tell me and a hundred percent of what they show me. Um, if it is that quick, and, and they're and they're too good at it, because they do it all the time, and they don't mean it. Yeah. They didn't think about it. And and so there, it is healthy for them to push back and say, no, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean to do that, you know, and to think about it. So that's something for me. I'm just not going to apologize right away. Just think about it and show them that I care and show them that I'm going to change the behavior. Right. And and, and the truth of it is that that apology, um, it, it is not the, uh, um, the the thing that will start the healing process. What we'll do that is the final step. It's it's reconciliation as a process and and influencing each other's mindset. Um, basically, you you tell the other person um, how you're going to uh, operate in the future in a way that you won't you know repeat um, the the infraction. To in in the case of Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton, it's uh, them agreeing what their boundaries are going to be financially. And um, in a, a creative venture, and they said this during like a, a I think it was like a roast or something. Like like there are recordings of them in interviews saying that if we recorded again together, it would be as a creative partnership. Not one person would hold all of the keys to like you know uh, what they're what they're recording, what they're doing, you know who wins the awards. Um, and that input is is where they actually started seeing eye to eye again. If you if you're wondering how the story ends. Um, there is forgiveness, but it came with that reconciliation. They had to see each other as equals again. And it took um, time. It, it was not immediate. There was bad blood for a long time, and there was money exchanged, and it was back and forth. Yeah, so there was. It went through this whole process. This is a very good outline for that. Yeah, for a successful one. To the fact that at the end they were doing roast with each other and hugging <laughs> and kissing, and but it, it really it's nice, you know. Um. What did that forgiveness, can we talk about the forgiveness of, of Dolly and Porter? Like, how did that look? Because when we say St. Dolly, it, it really is true. This is crazy. Yeah, Wagner, God bless him. You could just see this train wreck coming, you know? And late in the 70s and 80s, he started making just poor, poor business decisions. And the two final things were in 1981, his, his record label of RCA, which is a major, you know, a major record label, dropped him. And then so... When it rains, it pours. He owed the IRS of five hundred thousand dollars in nineteen eighty one. That's a lot of money, and so he, he was going to bankruptcy. He didn't have anything left. His records weren't selling. He didn't even have a record deal anymore. He wasn't touring. He didn't have a TV show, so he had to sell off um, all of his publishing rights. And so Dolly stepped in 
and bought the catalog so he didn't have to go BK, so he could pay off all his things, you know, keep the ship from sinking. And then what happened, he kind of got his ship back together. And he went back to, to Dolly. He had enough money to buy it, which he thought was fair. And she gave it to him as 100% free as a gift. <laughs> That's the part where I can't believe it. Like, like she effectively, like, she, one, she had two she, chances to put his lights out. Exactly. Which, which we think he would have done to her. He would have put her underwater with a smile on his face if he, if he could have. Yeah. And, and by buying his catalog means that he didn't give it over to another big, like, like we've all heard of like uh, legal fights between record companies where they will buy like the Michael Jackson catalog where they will buy the beach boys or whatever. Yeah. yeah they'll, they'll buy a record catalog and then they'll hold on to it forever and sue anybody who records it again. Um, like Wagoner could have lost his entire catalog to like a big pirate uh, uh, um, record yeah. company or, or capitalist or, or just, investors. Yeah. Yeah. Just a capitalist. And, and also too, I think it's important to know that their, their songs are who they are, right? It's like you and your writing. It, yeah. It's it's what they spent their whole life doing. It's a hundred percent of their value. So it's hard to sell it off for, you know, of course, you know, when you sell your house, you feel like you're selling it too cheap, but think about your soul. I mean, you're selling what you've done your whole life. You think this is all it's worth and nobody right. even wants it, you know? And, and I'm sure it was humbling to have, dolly write him a check i'm sure there was some tail between the legs for that right right and then and then of course she may have been the only one that even gave it that much value those other those other capitalists might have thought your stuff isn't worth shit so dolly what my opinion would happen and i just from what i've read and what i've seen she probably gave it a, a generous money there to get him out she probably figured out what he needed gave that to him and then gave it back to him so it's, it's just very very kind yeah, Mother Teresa kind. Did you uh, did you hear about the um, what she did when when Porter Wagner passed? No. So in uh, 2006, um, Porter Wagner uh, succumbed to lung cancer, and he was on his deathbed, and uh, she showed up, and basically the the last thing um, he heard as a song is. She personally sang uh, I Will Always Love You back to him. Uh, his, his favorite song that was written for him. Yep, exactly. That's very sweet. That to me is is the, the biggest takeaway for our episode, uh, our two-parter. We're going to ignore religion, uh, saying that it makes you close to God. We're ignoring um, forgiveness for the sake of uh, um, other people's comfort and, and to, to you know make society feel better around you. Truly, forgiveness is for yourself and your health, but forgiveness with boundaries and with outward acknowledgement is how you move forward with a loved one. That is a genuine golden type of forgiveness that allows you to keep a relationship and a connection. That is healing to yourself. It takes away cortisol. It gives you better nervous system. And as a natural neurotic... That's the one I'm going to try for from now on is is that uh, boundary setting, open forgiveness and the the Dolly Parton style of forgiveness. And I'm going to work these steps in the next the next trauma crisis. Have I know I don't know what it is, but I know it's coming. And I'm going to work these steps through because I, I can just see the strength in this. It's stronger than avoiding. It's stronger than, you know, 
just quickly apologizing and moving on. Whichever side I'm on, I'm going to work through through this whole thing. That that makes me feel better because when I spend our marketing budget on drugs and alcohol, <laughs> I'm going to need that forgiveness, Todd. When our book is in the friggin' when I see it at the dollar store, <laughs> and it's not even a book, I'll say, right. oh, "Shit, you get five of them for a book." I'll say, "Oh, great." Self-aware wealth, my ass. Yeah. (laughs) You've been listening to the Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredu.com. That's where we have research links, show notes, feedback, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything.